Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. We've been taking a look at tool, toolbox uh, for success in life, how we can be successful in life. Our theme verse has been Ecclesiastes 10.10. 10. I think Pastor Joe shared that with you uh, this morning, that we need skill to bring success, skill to bring success. It's not just desire and determination. And I gave an example, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, about someone could have the, the desire to win the Olympics doing the doggy paddle. But the reality is their desire is not going to compel them to win an Olympic gold medal doing the doggy paddle. They could have the determination. They could get up early and swim for eight hours a day doing the doggy paddle. They're still not going to win the Olympics. We can have desire and determination, but there's a third ingredient that we need to be successful in life, and that's skill. We need the skills in order to be successful. And so what we're doing over these next few weeks, I thought it was going to be a four-week series, but it's turning into an eight-week series because I have to divide everything in half. My intention on Tuesday, I start thinking about the next sermon about 12.30 today. I'll start thinking about next week. And then when I get back in the office on Tuesday, I start the preparation and try to finish it up by by uh, Friday-ish. I like to be 95% done by Friday, and then I come in Sunday morning and review everything. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Well, I'm I'm writing writing out the sermon for this week thinking I'm going to get to all four points. I have to. I can't keep going the way it's been going. I get through two points and say, uh, I'm not going to get to four. So you're going to get two points today, two very long, extended, excruciating points today. Exciting. Exciting. Right, that's what I meant to say, exciting uh, points today. But you need skill in order to be successful in life. And so that guy, no matter how much desire he had to do the doggy paddle, no matter how much determination, he didn't have the skill to get it done. I thought of another example today. Imagine if I were going to tell you today, and I'm not telling you this today, but I'm, gonna, I'm going to cash in any savings, all of our retirement, I'm going to leave the ministry, and I'm going to open a restaurant now, that would be not a wise decision. And here's why that wouldn't be a wise decision. Are you ready? I can't cook. And I've never run a restaurant. Do you ever watch that show, Restaurant Impossible? Do you ever see that? They're like $8 billion in debt. And the guy comes in and he goes, did you ever own a restaurant before? You come from a family? Oh, no, we just thought it would be a good idea. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, that's not a good idea. But if I were to do that and open a restaurant, I want to show you, because I have the desire. I have the determination. I'm going to work hard at it, and I really want to open a restaurant that only serves four things, and it's the four things that I like the most. Okay, so I have the desire. I really want to do this. I'm sincere in my belief that I can do this, and I'm determined I'm going to work really hard at it, but it's still not going to work. But I want to show you what I would serve at Sabella's Family kitchen. Well, I don't, yeah, I guess I've always wanted to open a church called Sabella's Prayer and Pasta House. I don't know, maybe the next church we plant, something like that. Sometimes I'll answer the phone like that. Have you ever heard me answer the phone? Sabella's Prayer and Pasta House, what would you like? 
I have the whole menu and stuff. And usually people say both. I need prayer and pasta. And so, which is true. So here's what I would serve uh, for breakfast. Oh, doesn't that look good? Eggs Benedict Florentine. It's eggs Benedict with spinach, with the hollandaise sauce. You ever had that? It's good, right? How many would come to my restaurant just to eat that? Yeah, I would too. I would too. Okay. Problem is, I can't make it. But I'm really, I really have the desire and I'm really going to work hard at it, but I don't have the skill to do it. Okay, so that's that. That looks great, right? Lunch, only one thing on lunch, cheesesteak. Whiz wit or whiz wit out? What do you got? Wit? Got any wit out? Any wit out? I'm a wit out. I'm a wit out. Every time somebody comes to visit us from out of town, we go to Tony Luke's and, uh, and we eat and then we send pictures to everybody we know that aren't at Tony Luke's with us. And uh, anyway, doesn't that look good, huh? You like the cheese whiz? What kind of cheese do you like on your cheesesteak? American? American? Yeah. Okay, well, the answer is no, because at my restaurant, you only get cheese whiz. That's it. Here's the problem. But I, I really want to. I really want to do this, and I'm going to work really hard. I, I, I don't know how to make a cheesesteak. Okay, so for dinner. Wait, wait, don't go to dinner yet. Anybody have any idea what I'm serving? Not just pasta. It's more specific than pasta. What I'm serving, Justin, you're looking at the picture. It doesn't count. John? Ravioli, of course. Ravioli in an app. Watch. Oh, look at that. Isn't that tremendous? Oh, I really have the desire to, to eat or to make. I actually have the desire to eat. I really have the desire to, to, to open a restaurant and, and, and serve ravioli for, for dinner. And I'm really determined to do it. I'm going to work really hard. And I'm really dedicated to it because I, I just gave up all of my savings and everything that I owned in order to do it. The problem is, I don't know how to make ravioli. That's the problem. All right, dessert. You might not know this one. Anybody know what that is? Know the name of it? Tartufo. Tartufo. I still remember the restaurant the first time I ever had Tartufo in my life. It was in Little Italy in, in Trenton, Trenton, New Jersey. Bob Fisher took me there. It was glorious. So here's what tartufo is. It's Italian ice cream, probably spumoni, in a ball with a chocolate ganache. And then you cut it like this in half. That's on purpose. I picked that picture. So you can open it up and just sense the glory of God emanating from the tartufo. Now listen, I have this great desire. I have determination. I'm sincere. I really want to open a restaurant. The problem is... I don't know how to run a restaurant, and I can't cook. Here's the point. We need more than just desire and determination. We need skill. And that's where some people get off base. They base life decisions on desire and determination, but don't have the skill in order to be successful. And so what we're talking about the past couple of weeks, how we ignore naysayers, that's important to be successful because if you are successful, you'll have naysayers. How do you ignore them and move on with God's purpose and plan? Then today, the skill we're going to look at is determining what matters most. Determining what matters 
most, okay? And that should be on your paper there. Now, leaders, and in order to be successful in any aspect of your life, you have to determine what you are going to do and what you aren't going to do, all right? And why is that? Why do you have to determine what you are going to do and what you're not going to do? What's that? Boundaries. That's what it boils down to. But what else? Logically. We don't have time to do everything, right? We don't have time to do everything, so life is often about what we can do and what we can't do. God doesn't call us to do everybody else's to-do list. He calls us to do our to-do list, and the reality is if we focus on what we're called to do, then we will have enough time to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. But if you focus on, now this is pretty you know, tough, but if you focus on everybody else's to-do list, you never get to your to-do list. If you're worried about everybody else's life but not focusing on your own life and your own responsibilities, you're never going to get done what you need to do because you can't do everything because God hasn't called you to do everything. But I have the desire. I have the determination. But that's not what he's called you to do. You have to take this skill of determining what matters most and make it part of your life. Now, I got to this in the online service. I went really long on the online service today, and only two people clicked off, and fortunately, I have their names. No, I'm just kidding. They, they hung in there with me. But I, I asked this question, and I'll ask you the question on site. Why, why is it that you feel you have to do everything? And, and why is it that you feel you have to put, oh, this is terrible. I was nicer online. I really was. Why is it that you feel you have to put your nose in everybody else's business when you can barely take care of your own business? And the reason you can't take care of your own business is because you're constantly putting your nose in other people's business. You see how that works? But there's something internally that's missing. There's something that's missing on the inside that you have to have everybody like you, that you have to try to do as much as you humanly possible or else you're not going to feel like you've accomplished anything. Can I give you the good news now? God doesn't require that of you. He requires only that you do what he's called you to do. That doesn't mean preach and teach and all that. That means being a good husband and a good father and working hard at your job and, and whatever it is you do. Okay, that's what he's asking you to do. A lot of frustration, discouragement, exhaustion, fear, disappointment. I mean, what else is because we're trying to do everything and God has not called us to do everything. He's only called us to do what he's called us to do. And the only way you're going to learn that skill is by figuring out what matters most and learning to say a very, very important word. Now, you're going to have to repeat after me because some of you might have never spoken this word in your life. Now, don't jump ahead if you know the answer. Are you ready? Here's the word. No. No. You know what I've found through the years? Can I be honest with you? Are you okay if I'm honest? People will hate you when you tell them no. Here's how it works. I've told you this before. 
oh, I love you. You're the best. You're wonderful. As long as you're doing everything they want you to do. And as soon as you say no, they hate you with a passion that you didn't know they had inside of them. Because they never learned any kind of set it. Boundaries. Boundaries. And people, will, people without boundaries will hate you because you have boundaries. Okay? But you have to have that skill. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Well, okay. I don't know what to tell you. If you're going to yeah, but me the whole service, I don't know what to tell you. I'm trying to help you with these skills. Look. Trying to help you with these skills. What matters most? How do we determine what matters most? Okay, here's how we do it on your paper. There are three things we can look at to determine what matters most. Number one is ourselves or myself. Myself. And we, the phrase goes like this. I'm just going to, or, or I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to follow my heart. I'm just going to do what my heart tells me to do. What's the problem with that? The heart is deceitfully wicked. What's the rest of the verse? Above all else. Your own heart is more deceitful than anyone else you know. You can't follow your heart. You can't follow yourself. Don't look to yourself to find what matters most because yourself is going to let you down. Who is going to be my authority? Who am I going to listen to? Who am I going to evaluate my life based on? Is it myself that I'm just going to follow my heart? Well, we know in Jeremiah 17, 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Okay, well, let's say this. Maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, but I'm a believer. I'm a believer. You still don't make perfect decisions. I don't. Sometimes what I feel is right is wrong because I still have flesh inside of me that's warring against the spirit. Oh, that I would make more decisions and live life more by the spirit than by the flesh. But the reality is I need something that is beyond me that's going to be the authority in my life so that I can learn the skill of focusing on what matters most. Who is going to be my authority? Myself? If yourself, and I'll just follow my heart, if that's what you're going to follow, then you're going to run into problems. The word deceitful means to mislead or to end up in the wrong direction. We've said this over and over again. Not everything you think is true. Not everything you think is true. We have to evaluate it based on something outside of ourself. This is why getting our values from ourselves is so dangerous because our minds can lie to us and even what we see can lie to us because we see things based on the framework of our lives. Everything filters through the framework of our lives. Okay, show this next picture here. I thought this was a tremendous example uh, for us. We can't even rely on what necessarily we see. It's the one with the lions. You don't have it? That was a really great point that you missed. Next. How can I relate it now off the top of my head? Uh, okay, I'm standing here and I can see the lobby. I can see right out of the lobby, and I'm saying, here's the lobby, here's the lobby. Well, Debbie's sitting in the back, 
And if she were to look from where she's sitting at now, she says, there's no lobby. And I'm saying, no, there is a lobby. I can see it. And she's telling me there is no lobby. I can't see it. Because from her perspective, she can't see it. From my perspective, I can. From my perspective, oh, the lobby, there's only, you have to walk straight out these doors and straight out the outside because there's no other space for anybody to stand. Is that true of our lobby out there? No. There's a whole other side on this side that I can't see. See? She can't see the lobby at all. She can't see the picture at all. I only see part of the picture. But either way, we can't just rely on ourselves. You're getting the point here? We need to rely on something outside of ourselves in order to determine what matters most because if we rely on ourselves, we'll be let down, okay? All right, next. We can look to the world and its values. The world and its values, okay? The world is anything outside the kingdom of God. The world doesn't mean necessarily the planet. It means the attitudes of those that are outside of the kingdom of God. 1 John uh, 2, 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is is not in him. You see the contrast between God the Father and the world. That's what separates it. What is God's best? What is the world's ideals? And then he goes on, John, 1 John 2.16 says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. Okay? So we can't get our values and what matters most from ourselves. We can't get them from the world because here's what the world values. Looking good. Looking good, appearance. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't look, look nice and be presentable. I always use food as an analogy. Listen, no matter how good the pizza is inside the box, if that box looks like it's dirty and been run over, I'm not eating the pizza. So appearance is important, but it's not the most important thing. It's not the most important thing. The Bible teaches us that God doesn't look at the outward. He looks at the inward. And yet billions and billions of dollars are spent on appearance. And again, there's nothing wrong with looking nice, and you should. You should be presentable. But it's not the most important thing. That's the world's values. God help our young people that are so inundated with media and, and, and you know, what the perfect physical image is. Let me give you a little secret here. If you look at these magazines, I don't even know if people look at magazines anymore, but magazines or internet and some of these celebrities and stuff, you realize those pictures are photoshopped? You realize they don't even look that good? That's why so many of them have so many emotional problems because they realize that their whole life revolves around something that's not real. Don't pattern yourself after whatever that perfection is. That's what they're trying to sell you. They're trying to sell you this perfection and even those people that look perfect aren't perfect because their photos are photoshopped. You'll see it. This is an untouched photo, okay? This is without this much makeup on. You wouldn't even recognize some of these celebrities. Turns out their head is only this big because of all the makeup that they have on. But that's what the world promotes, appearance above all else. And I know that's so, it's so very difficult. The next part that the world promotes is feeling good, the lust of the flesh. 
Do what feels good. Do what feels right. Nothing will lead you further astray from God than pursuing fleshly passions. I'll put it politely. You know why a lot of our young people go away to secular college or any college and fall away from the Lord? is because they fall away sexually long before they give up on God. And they have to deal with the guilt somehow because they knew that they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. And so instead of repenting and doing what's right, they eliminate that source of guilt, which is God. Okay, and we're going to talk more about this in just a few minutes. But that's what the world promotes. It's everywhere. That's what the world promotes. Sex sells and, and sales are made through sex. I don't watch a lot of commercials because I try to tape everything so I don't have to watch commercials. But it's everywhere. We're inundated with it. That's the world's values. I'll do what feels best. The, second, the third thing that the world values try to get us towards is having the good. So we have looking good, feeling good, and having the good, which is materialism which is money, wealth, riches, prosperity, nothing wrong with any of those. I told my, my children, I, 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 my, my son in particular, my daughter's a teacher, so she doesn't have a whole lot of potential to make a whole lot of money. That's just how it works. And all the teachers said amen to that. But anyway, um, but my son has more potential. In, in his field and what he's going into, and that's neither here nor there. But I said, here, buddy, is what I want. I want you to be the richest man in the church with the biggest heart for the things of God. That's what I want. I don't want you to be impoverished and not be able to do anything for the kingdom. I want you to be the richest man in church with the biggest heart for God, that when there's a need, you can meet it. So nobody's talking against money but I am saying it shouldn't be your first priority. Nobody's talking about not having material things. I'm thankful that I have a house, a car, and everything else included in it, including, you know, ravioli and, a, and an app. I'm thankful for these things. But it's not my life's goal. My life's goal is to serve God in whatever capacity he calls me to do. And that's why I say no to some things and yes to other things. Even as a believer, there's a lot of yes that I could say to a lot of things, but in my heart, it's just not right. And I say no to it because I want to focus on what matters. Okay, so how do we set our values? I gave you two things so far. Number, or who's going to be my authority? I gave you two things. Myself, bad idea. Heart's deceitfully wicked. Number two, the world. The world's values are completely different than God's values. The third place we get our authority from is the right answer, and it's the word. The word of God. Why? Because the word of God never changes. It was true thousands of years ago. It's still true today. Everything around us has changed, but the word of God hasn't changed. Everything else will perish, but the word of God won't perish. Whatever you thought was important yesteryear is no longer important anymore, but the word of God still stands. You see, we have to build our lives not on ourselves, not on the outside world. We have to build our lives on the word of God. Because it never changes. It's still true. And I don't know if I should put it this way or not, but it still works. The principles in God's word still works. I 
I want to place my trust in God's word, certainly not in myself and certainly not in the things of the world. What does God's word say about appearance and beauty? I told you this already. Uh, Samuel was looking for the next king to be anointed. He passed up all of the older brothers of David. Then Jesse calls David in and Samuel says, he's the one. And they said, what? He's the youngest. He's not the strongest. He's not the most powerful. And Samuel said this, you know what? You got it wrong because man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart and that's what matters. To God, it doesn't matter how you look. It might matter in the world. It might matter in school. I get that. But God cares about your heart, your heart. Pleasure. What about pleasure? Hebrews 11.25 says, He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Sin is pleasurable for a what? But then the consequences kick in. And that's still true. Hebrews was written, let's say, 2,000 years ago. Guess what? Sin is still pleasurable for a season, and it still has dire consequences. It's still true. It's still true. Materialism. Luke 12, 15, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's not what we have that matters to God, and I'm glad that we have. I am glad. And I'm thankful and I give the glory to God, but it's not the most important thing. And I think of it like this. What am I going to present to God on that day? What am I going to present to him? My car? Is God going to be impressed with my car? Because he has in heaven, the streets are paved with gold. Am I going to present God my house? Is that going to impress him? He has a, a, a mansion that we're going to live in and be a part of. Is that any of that going to impress him? No, what's going to impress God in, in a sense is that I realized I was broken and ruined without Jesus. And here's what I'm going to offer God, Jesus' sacrifice. I'm not going to stand before God and say, hey, God, look what I did. I did this and boop, 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 boop. None of that matters to God because our works are like filthy rags. Look, this is the only work that matters. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what we're going to stand in front of God. If you answer that question, what are you going to say to God and why should he let you in? If you answer this question, this is serious, please listen, no jokes. If you answer that question, I'm going to tell God I was a good person. That's the wrong answer. The right answer is I was not a good person, but Jesus is good. And he died in my place for my sins. That's the only way I can stand before you today. That's Christianity. That's the right answer. And we got to get that straight. And too many people in church don't even get that straight. I don't, I don't get it. All of scripture is based on God's grace and not our works. Even Abraham, it says in Romans chapter 4, was justified by faith. Even Abraham before Jesus. If you think the answer is that you're going to stand before God and say, I was a good person, you are, that is the complete absolute wrong reason. The true reason is that I'm not good, but Jesus is, and I've accepted his finished work on the cross. That's the real reason. Okay, next. I hate when that happens. 
Was that pizza delivery by chance? No. Wouldn't that be fun someday to order pizza for the church and have the pizza delivery man come in and have pizza? Let's work on that. Can we work on that? Let's do that. The church will buy the pizza and then we'll just tip the delivery person like ridiculous. Wouldn't that be cool? Your part of it would be just to, to have some cash and just tip the delivery person. So that I love this idea. I'm going to work on this now. See, Karen, all things work together for the good, for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Listen, we've all been there. Don't worry about it. Wouldn't that be awesome, though? Have them deliver, come in with the pizzas, and have the delivery person stand there, and we would just bless them. They would make more on a Sunday than they would make in a week. It could be life-changing money to them. We're going to work on that. Yeah, right. Yeah, Kenny. Kenny like this. Tip? What's a tip? Tip? Don't gamble. There's your tip. This is why I never get through all my points. It's Kenny's fault. All right. So let, let me get you back. Let me get me back. I meant me. To be successful in life takes more than desire and determination and sincerity. You need the skills. One skill is ignoring the naysayers. Second skill we're working on today is to determine what matters most. How do we determine our values? Ourselves? No. The world? No. The word? Yes. That's how we determine our values. The second way that we're going to look at, this is my last point today, is how to determine our values by what's going to last the longest. What's going to last the longest? Short-term thinking can destroy. It can even be deadly. What's the long-term consequence to short-term decisions? What's the long-term consequence to short-term decisions? The world and its desires pass away, 1 John 2, 17. But the man who does the will of God lives how long? Yeah, see, everything in the world passes away. I often ask this, guy, this question of guys, uh, uh, more seasoned guys. What was your first car? And everybody knows because guys mostly like cars. And then the second question is, do you still have it? And their answer is always, no, but I sure wish I did. And that just proves what things pass away. We have to focus on what's eternal and what's going to last. Temptation is not just about what's right and wrong. Temptation is about now or later. Temptation is not just right or wrong, but now or later. It feels good now, but what are the consequences later? What's going to last the longest? I think one of the saddest pictures of a, of a person that I could illustrate for you is a man my age. I'm 55 years old. I don't know what that is. Middle age, I guess. I like to refer to myself as middle-aged and crazy. Uh, I'm getting crazier every day. But I think the saddest picture is a 55-year-old man that looks back on his life and realizes he doesn't have what was really important. Excuse this. He slept around more than he should have and lost the family. He worked too much and lost the family. He still has money, but he has nothing to do with it that really matters. To me, that's one of the saddest stories ever because you get to a point in life, and I'm kind of there now, that whatever I thought was important before is really not. And I'm just so th 
thankful for my wife. Been married 31 years. It's not always been easy on her. It's been much easier on me than it's been on her. But 31 years, that's what's important. Our kids, thank God, are healthy. Right now they're serving the Lord, which I'm thankful for. They, they still go to church even though we don't know it. If they can't go to church, they watch our online sermon. I can't even tell stories about them anymore because they still hear. But really, what else really matters? I mean, we, we eat and we have a beautiful place to live. And short-term thinking, long-term consequences. That doesn't mean you don't have to work. I tell you, honestly, if I had... One major regret in my life is that I was too focused on the ministry and not enough on my children when they were younger. That my life revolved around the ministry. At the time, we were planting a church, and everything I did and thought about was getting that church going. Because God forbid it, it wouldn't work, and then it would be a, 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 a look bad on me. Now I look at it, so what? What does it really matter? Because I could have had a successful church and an unsuccessful family. And what does it matter? I'll tell you this story one more time. We were at a restaurant. Some of you know this, some of you don't. We were at a restaurant in Lancaster, and the waitress, uh, we had moved, and we got a different waitress. Somehow we got talking. I was speaking at a retreat or something. And she got talking, and, and I, I don't usually lead with I'm a pastor because that I don't need the affirmation, you know, I don't, I don't need that. And uh, somehow we ended up with that. She goes, my dad was in the ministry, and he was a great pastor but a bad dad. God, if all else fails in ministry, I can handle being a bad pastor, but I don't want to be a bad dad. And you can be great at whatever you do, but don't forget what's most important. In fact, I'd encourage you to, to God's glory, be great at whatever you do. But don't lose sight of what's most important. And it's the things that will last. Relationships, family, friends, your relationship to God. That's what matters most. You'll have opportunity in life to make a lot of decisions and you'll face a lot of temptations. And temptation is not always about what's right and wrong. It's about are you going to have pleasure now and pay the price later or are you going to abstain from what is pleasurable then to reap a greater reward later. That helps us build values into our life. And we need those values in order to be successful in life. I'll close with this. You know King David, right? One of the greatest kings Israel had ever had. Everything he did was successful until he decided he had done enough. And when all the other kings were out in battle, he stayed home, went up on the roof and was looking over his kingdom. And when he saw a beautiful young lady bathing. He had two options. Run away. Flee youthful lust. That's when you run away. Or keep looking. And he decided to keep looking. And his lust led him 
to call her to his house and to his room, and she ended up pregnant. She was married. So he tried to trick the husband. Now watch, this is a man after God's own heart. Committed adultery. Took advantage of, uh, uh, I'll say, not, not because she was a woman, but he was the king. Okay? Took advantage of a subordinate. Tried to trick the husband into coming home and getting his wife pregnant. When that didn't work, he called the general and said, put this guy, Uriah, on the front line and then withdraw premeditated murder. Why? Because of one night of pleasure. Hey, there are consequences. What really matters. David had everything he needed. Everything he could have ever wanted, but lust led him to want more than what God had given him. So look at the consequences. The baby he had with Bathsheba died. And now I'm not saying that was a direct cause and effect. I'm not saying God took that baby because of his sin. But she would never have been pregnant if he hadn't done what was wrong. David's son Amnon took advantage of his half-sister Tamar. Tamar's brother Absalom killed Amnon for taking advantage of his sister Absalom started a war to overthrow David and take over the kingdom. Absalom died in battle. Consequences to David's decisions. What could David say to Amnon? Son, don't take a woman just because you want her. Amnon could have responded, well, dad, you did. What could have he have said to Absalom about the murder of his brother's son? Don't kill a man to solve all your problems. And Absalom could have said, well, dad, you did. His sins elicit immorality or replicated in the lives of his children. And it still happens too often. Now, I'm not going to end with that because I'm going to tell you what David did. He repented. And I'm going to tell you this as we close because, listen, all of us have made bad decisions and all of us are living some of the consequences now. Please listen to me. God still loves you completely. Come to God and repent and ask for forgiveness and God will forgive you. How many times will he forgive you every time you come to him? The problem is the longer you live in sin, the less likely you are to come to him and ask for forgiveness. That forgiveness issue is our part. The longer we live in sin, the less likely we are to ask for forgiveness. But if we still have a heart to ask for forgiveness, then God will forgive us every time. David cried out to God in Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God. He knew that he had messed up. He knew, I mean, wicked immorality, premeditated murder. And yet he knew he had to get to God. Oh God, have mercy on me. Watch what he says. According to your unfailing love. Not because I'm a good guy, God. Because I'm not a good guy. Not because I'm a king. Because none of that matters now. Because my, my family has fallen apart. But I come to you, God, because of your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions. He goes on in chapter 51. Wash away 
all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I, I know my transgressions and, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and are justified when you judge. And he goes on to say in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Can I just add to that? You can sing the songs perfectly and God not accept it if you don't have a broken heart before him. You can do all the church stuff that we do, stand at the right time, give at the right time, serve at the right time. What God is attracted to is a broken and a contrite spirit. He, he might, now when I say religious, I mean without a relationship with Jesus. He might reject the religious person and run to the person who's brokenhearted over their sin. I'm telling you this because God is not condemning you now because of your decisions. He's leading you back to him. Don't run away from God because you made poor choices. Run to God. And he'll give you a new life. And he'll help you through the consequences of your decisions. I cannot tell you he'll take all those consequences away because he won't. But I can tell you he'll be with you every step of the way. And he'll love you through the difficulties if you just come to him. He's a wonderful God. He's not waiting for you to fail. He's waiting on you to fall before him and say, God, based on your unfailing mercy, forgive me. And you know what he'll do? He'll forgive you. That's the good news of the gospel. Not that you're good, that he's good. And he'll help you determine what matters most in life. And that's a skill we all desperately need. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.